There's a bonanza sweeping across North America. John Boehner is speaking up about it. Mike Tyson is throwing his weight behind it. And Peter Thiel's investment fund is putting tens of millions of dollars into it. We begin this morning with pot in America, the legalization of pot. So ready or not, welcome to Amerijuanica. <laughs> yes, it is the legal cannabis industry. And it brought in over $6.5 billion in sales last year in America. There's just one problem. But as long as marijuana remains a Schedule One drug under federal law, banks don't want to take any greenbacks made from the green leaf. For an industry made up of tens of thousands of growers and dispensaries and employing over 200,000 people, no access to banking is a big problem. Um, you're talking about of a lot of businesses that are largely cash-based. It's one of these situations where it can actually be quite dangerous for our client base. The problem? No place to stash all that cannabis cash because the bank said, sorry, we're closed when it comes to marijuana money. You don't get the warm and fuzzies, right, when, when this is uh, part of a practice that some businesses have had to deal with. And for a guy like Mark Hooley, who audits and consults with high-growth companies in a lot of different fields, inspecting finances and doing tax returns for cannabis isn't exactly business as usual. You know, we've talked to prospects and we've talked to clients that at some point in time have carried hundreds of thousands of dollars in their trunk, have kept hundreds of thousands of dollars in their homes, and the larger those cash balances get, we'll need to physically inspect. That is just one of the many curiosities of a new and legally complicated industry like cannabis. As a managing partner at Cone Resnick, Mark Hooley works with all kinds of budding companies in consumer tech, life sciences, renewable energy, and the cannabis cash problem may be unique to that industry, but the other things growers and dispensaries face, complying with regulations, managing money, cutting costs, they're consistent across all areas of business. Financial accounting, right? financing of projects, tax issues. So I would say that, you know, th this, while on the surface, it would seem like there are maybe some unusual types of people that you would see coming to the forefront. In general, they, they don't look a whole lot different than a lot of the early stage businesses and entrepreneurs that we work with across many other industries. There is one challenge, however, that is hitting cannabis startups particularly hard. Energy. The city of Denver warned the electric demands of cultivation facilities can potentially lead to grid outages. Nearby Boulder County was so concerned it installed energy monitors at the cultivation facilities and charges a voluntary per kilowatt hour fee. The industry now eats up $6 billion in electricity costs. Many growers are paying tens of thousands of dollars per month to power cultivation sites, and some utilities are worried about strain on the grid. But trying to slash that electricity use is really hard when you do most of your business in cash and you can't get access to traditional financing. Well, it's exactly that. It's access to capital. The capital that you, that you would most typically have to deploy if you wanted to site solar at a cultivation facility will end up being very expensive because you don't have access to traditional bank financing. Uh, you don't have access to typical project financing or tax equity financing uh, that solar enjoys, you know, for, you know, virtually every other project. You know, most of these businesses also want to do well financially while doing good. And, um, you know, it can be a frustration. I'm Stephen Lacey. 
In this episode, produced in partnership with Cone Resnick, the challenge of greening up America's newest green cash crop. A couple years back, Cone Resnick got serious about cannabis. And it was because a lot of the firm's high-profile clients wanted to invest. They wanted to figure out the space. Mark Hooley sits at this really interesting intersection between energy and cannabis. He spends most of his time with renewable energy companies, but he's increasingly working with cannabis companies. And a lot of them are not just worried about managing their finances or meeting regulations. They're also trying to figure out how to cut their energy costs. So I sat down with Mark to understand this problem. What does the increasing energy demand from cannabis mean for growers, investors, utilities, and renewable energy developers? If you look at power consumption for, you know, cultivators, and this is mostly indoor, you know, cultivation, you're probably looking right around a percent over of overall electricity consumption, which, you know, generally is a is a small amount. If you compare that to something like data centers, I believe it's around 3%. But nonetheless, the these are our, you know, cultivation facilities are energy hogs. And m- most of the issues I think that we're seeing are locational. If you're a utility and you are evaluating, you know, power usage uh, amongst your constituents, consumers, and businesses alike, well, a, a, a cannabis cultivation facility may be in a location where there are certain infrastructure assets that would need to be upgraded, where a single location could have a tremendous impact on that utility just because of aged or inefficient or inappropriate um, infrastructure. So I think those are some of the the, the bigger issues that, that we've seen and that you're going to continue to see uh, when you're a cannabis company looking to develop and open a new cultivation facility. So you're a cannabis company and you're having to scale a business quickly using only cash worrying about new rules and regulations. And now all of a sudden you think you've got this great piece of real estate and you you, you have some sort of electrical infrastructure that you're responsible for, perhaps. Is that a big shock or surprise for a lot of growers? It can be. Engage your local utility early and often. Because these problems uh, or these issues can be identified within the, d- the design phase for the project. And uh, it's something that, that we have seen, our clients have seen. And I think you're going to continue to see this more and more because, uh, let's face it, uh, I think it, at this point, 33 states have a medicinal program. Uh, 10 states have a recreational program. What that means is more and more cultivation facilities are going to be opened and they are not going to be at single locations where the utilities are saying, we want all of our cannabis companies to be in this location because we've designed infrastructure to handle that increased growth. So you're going to see these issues pop up, I believe, more and more uh, across the space, particularly as um, legalization continues and you see more and more cultivators uh, opening up facilities. So historically, utilities have not engaged much with grow operations on energy efficiency or on renewables siting on these facilities. That's changing a bit. 
we're definitely seeing some utility programs, some municipal programs. They're still somewhat limited, however. How are you seeing partnerships and deals evolving on this front? And are they evolving fast enough? So I I don't believe that they are involve, uh, evolving fast enough uh, for this this industry. And the reason is, is because I think that you've got a unique opportunity where you can site solar and potentially storage um, to really mitigate you know, a lot of these issues and demands that are being placed on utilities and on their infrastructure. I think that utilities are apprehensive mostly because of the federal illegality of cannabis to engage in a lot of these discussions. We do see certain local uh, counties, municipalities that have incentive programs uh, in some cases, uh, you have requirements in counties to uh, site solar or meet efficiency requirements that could potentially um, implement penalties if those measures are not taken. And I think that there's probably a, a combination here. I certainly I don't I don't like the use of penalties in order to encourage right, the use of uh, energy efficiency or siting solar or storage at uh, cultivation projects. But I, I think that there is certainly a discussion, right, and an engagement that needs to occur between utilities and the cu cannabis cultivators so that they're having a discussion up front about site specific issues regarding uh, locational issues. I think that's an important part of the discussion. And I think that there are going to be programs as cultivation facilities continue to open up. There are going to be programs that more progressive utilities put into place that will ultimately foster, you know, a higher level of engagement. But we're not seeing it to the level that I think it requires, uh, given where we are today. What would be an example of a good program that could theoretically work or serve the needs of uh, grow operations and manage this potential surge in electricity demand? Are there any good ideas out there or things that have been put into practice already? Well, I, I would be in favor of state incentives. Um, I, I don't see any programs now that I think are overly uh, impactful or, you know, that would serve as a template. But I think that each individual state is going to have to come up with, they're going to have to look at the level of operations that are, are being put online for cannabis cultivation. And they're going to have to design programs around the numbers that they expect, right? And the number of facilities that they expect are going to be built and developed, uh, you know, over the next two to three years. And I think state incentive programs are really the way to go because I think it, it solves two problems. One, it, it helps these companies, you know, cannabis cultivators uh, with respect to uh, the development, you know, of, of new cultivation facilities. And it also takes pressure off of utilities, right? Because then utilities will be more inclined to engage with the cultivators and 
established programs, right, that allow them to access uh, those incentives. Have you seen a cannabis company attempt to invest in solar and been unable to get financing for it? We have. We had a client that was looking at a solar project and looked at traditional financing first and foremost. That was a dead end completely from the outset, right? Because of the lack of banking activity uh, within the space. The next avenue that they chose to explore was PACE financing, and that's property assessed clean energy financing. And they got pretty far down the road. There were two PACE financiers that were interested in lending the money for the project. Uh, one of them had dropped out a little bit, you know, probably midway through the process because they just could not get comfortable with doing business with a cannabis company. But another PACE lender really got pretty far down the line and to the point where term sheets were signed. And then you had the rescission of the coal memo that occurred. And all of the sudden, when that rescission of that coal memo occurred, the PACE financier pulled out because their investors, the ultimate investors that the PACE finance company worked with, couldn't get comfortable. Can you explain that memo? That's the Justice Department memo that basically made it safe for cannabis growers to operate in states where it was legalized? Yes, only in states where, where cannabis had been legalized. And it, was, it really prohibited the um, uh, prosecution right, of those businesses at the, at the federal level. So I think there was an amount of comfortability that, that people had with respect to the Cole memo. And then uh, Jeff Sessions, uh, as the acting attorney general at the time, and this was in January 2018, rescinded that memo. So that obviously weighed on the minds of many people looking to invest in the space, including in this case, the Pace financier. Do you have clients who would be willing to pay for these systems in, just in cash? Well, um, we, we, do have, we do have a client who used a unique financing uh, structure and built a facility in the desert here in California. It's about a 280 kilowatt system, and it provides power for an approximately 11,000 square foot facility. And this was, you know, a cool project because it's in an economically disadvantaged area and it provided many jobs uh, for the local community. And in this case, because of certain limitations on the size of the facility, um, because of the fire code in this jurisdiction, they couldn't site the solar project on the rooftop. They had to site the build a carport structure around the facility itself. So it was a bit limited in the size uh, of the facility, but it'll offset about 30% of the total facility power needs. These situations, they are occurring. We are seeing, you know, relatively few examples, but, you know, where they are occurring, the use of, of capital, while the payback period is typically a bit longer, right? In this case, it's probably about nine years. But, you know, this is, again, an example of, you know, where, where 
our clients and most of our clients, I would say, are are looking to put capital to use so that, you know, like I said, they can do well financially while also doing good from a sustainability perspective. Electricity consumption from the legal cannabis industry is going to grow over 160% likely through 2022. The market will grow from just around $10 billion last year to around $23 billion by 2025. So if you're a renewable energy developer and you're seeing that expansion in revenue and you're seeing that expansion in electricity consumption, are you eyeing a major opportunity or are you looking at these financial complexities and saying, "Uh, I don't know if I want to touch that yet? If you are a smart developer, I believe that you should be all over this. And the reason why is because, like you said, with the growth that's projected, there is tremendous opportunity. And the reason why I think it's worthwhile for sponsors and developers to think about this now is because I believe that in the next 18 to 24 months or 36 months, you know, at, at, uh, you know, on the outside, you will see legalization, right? And you will see the banking environment open up. This is what is holding everybody back right now. So we're always counseling our clients to try and see beyond the curve, right? And, and look, what's a, what, look what's around the corner to position yourself to take advantage of opportunities. And th- this is a situation where if you're, if you're a developer and you're not thinking about these opportunities right now, well, then when legalization does occur for these businesses, you are going to be behind the curve, right? As far as creating opportunities, understanding structures, you know, to finance the cultivation facilities. And I believe it represents a very significant area of growth, no different than corporate PPAs, right, for large technology companies. So you can see why utilities, banks, project developers are very nervous about engaging with this industry. What changes that? Is it full federal legalization or can something else happen that opens it up and makes these businesses, the folks with the money, uh, more willing to engage with the cannabis industry? Unfortunately, I think it has to be full federal legalization. Now, that's the bad news. The good news is, is that you have the Safe Banking Act right now, which has a lot of momentum. And that act essentially prohibits regulators from penalizing uh, the banks who are doing business with cannabis companies. That would allow for deposits uh, to be made by cannabis companies with financial institutions that are backed by the FDIC or regulated by the FDIC. And it would allow for loans and lines of credit. And you know, one of one of the the bigger positives here is this bill should move to the full house vote shortly. And in general, it enjoys bipartisan support. So as with most legislation, you never really know where it's going to land, right? And it has to get through the Senate after the house. But ultimately, 
it's a positive that this is moving forward and it definitely seems to have momentum. Mark Hooley is a managing director at Cone Resnick. If you're a developer looking to understand how to finance projects in the cannabis space, or if you're a grower trying to figure out how to clean up your energy use, Cone Resnick can help. Find out more at coneresnick.com slash industries and click on the cannabis tab. That's C-O-H-N-R-E-Z-N-I-C-K, coneresnick.com slash industries and click on the cannabis tab. This podcast was produced in partnership with Cone Resnick. Thanks a lot for listening.